What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Blair List Podcast. So excited about today's episode because I have Justin Dubin, who's a doctor who also has his own podcast, Two Guys, One Movie. Thanks for having me, Blair. I'm very excited to be here. This is very, very cool. This studio is amazing. <laughs> Thank it's you. Cool. Shout out to Emily for introducing us on New Year's. Yeah, shout out to Emily. <laughs> I really wanted to have Justin on the podcast because... A, he's like one of the most entertaining people I've met in a long time. And also he has a really unique story. It's not every day that you meet a doctor who also has a podcast about movies and a bunch of other cool stuff going on. Thank you. That's very flattering. I appreciate that. <laughs> We're very flattering on this podcast. So on this podcast, we like to start at the beginning. Where are you from and what did you want to be when you grew up? Great question. So... I grew up for, um, in Wayne, New Jersey. Um, I was there until high school. Well, I graduated from high school there. And then I went to undergrad at Johns Hopkins University. I majored in biology, minored in entrepreneurship and management. When I was a kid, I actually think for a while I wanted to be a vet. Um, hmm. And then I realized I am deathly allergic to cats, like the <laughs> most allergic to cats that you'll ever meet. I remember seeing my allergist and he was like, you should not be in a room with a cat longer than about <laughs> 10 minutes. So let alone be a vet. Right. So I can't, can't be a vet. And then for some reason, I just kept going in my mind to being a doctor. I thought it was a very rewarding profession. No one in my family has ever been any kind of graduate school person. My dad was graduated from college. My mom didn't graduate from college. So it was kind of a big step. My, both my grandparents were entrepreneurs who never went to college. So, I mean, my grandfather's, my grandfather on my mother's side came from uh, Poland during the Holocaust, like to get, get away from everything. And then my other grandfather who lives in Boca now, he grew up in, you know, in Brooklyn and basically started a purse company. And cool. uh, yeah, so, you know, I've been around entrepreneurs for pretty much my whole life. And uh, I don't know why I just decided that... I wanted to do medicine. I, I can't explain why. I just think what was interesting to medicine, first off, I'm very hands-on. I like to engage with people, do things with my hands, and I think that's what pushed me towards a surgery background or sur surgery choice. Um, and I just like the idea of maybe directly influencing one person's life or having an impact on someone's life, and then knowing that you're kind of indirectly influencing their friends, their families. And that kind of felt very special to me. And here we are, you know, 25 years later or whatever. I'm not 25, I'm 33. <laughs> but uh, when I was a kid, whatever age, but, um, and now I'm a urologist and uh, it's very fun. I'm having a great time. I'm a resident though. So how residency works is you graduate from med school four years training after that is you decide in a specialty when you graduate from med school you're just a doctor you can't practice you can't really go into the world in any capacity as a practicing physician for the most part there's some loopholes that you can do um so you, you decide on a specialty and you get trained 
And uh, depending on the specialty, it takes however long. And urology is typically five to six years as a surgical specialty. So I've been in Miami for five years here at UMiami training, and I'm moving to Chicago in about six months where I'll be specializing in male infertility, sexual medicine. I'll be doing a fellowship at Northwestern. So I'm very excited to be doing that. So basically you're a boss. <laughs> <laughs> no, I am That's so amazing. No, you are because I back in the day when I was growing up, I'm like, yeah, I would love to be a brain surgeon. And then you like actually think about all of the hard work, effort, time, years that it takes to get there. And you know, it's really survival of the fittest. Like not everyone makes it to the end because you're put through so much. And I think that even though you're still in the process of, you know, becoming a surgeon, because I'm guessing that after after you move to Chicago and come back, you're able to start practicing as a surgeon? Yeah, I mean, in theory, after a residency, you can just go into practice. But I wanted to really subspecialize. I really have, over the last few years, become passionate in male infertility and sexual medicine. And I'm someone who, you know, there's obviously, there's things like you can focus on cancer and, you know, which is very serious, serious stuff. But what people don't really know is that, you know, infertility is actually pretty serious. Like when you, when you're not, when you tell someone that they cannot have a child, that's pretty much telling someone that, you know, there's a death, you know, it's, so it's, it's a very serious topic, but I really wanted to focus on improving quality of life, not necessarily quantity of life, because I think that for me in cancer, a lot of times you can extend someone's life, but at a certain cost potentially. And that's something that I just didn't want to personally deal with in the long term. Like I, I do, I love doing those cases. I like operating uh, on the robot, which is it, the, the cool thing about urology is we are very technology forward. We do all the Da Vinci robots. We're using all the newest technologies. But I felt like I wanted to be someone who's who someone's coming to and you know leaving smiling because you know they're having better sex or they're having a kid or something like that. I mean, that's pretty cool. Yeah. That's pretty fun. Right. And I'm smiling because of that too. <laughs> so we all win. So I want to know, how has it been being a doctor during the pandemic and just being in that hospital environment? Right. So I have been at three hospitals, right? So the University of Miami residents, we cover Jackson, which is, you know, the community hospital and has been kind of all over the news during the pandemic as like the hotspot, uh, the University of Miami Hospital, as well as the VA. Right now I'm working at the Veterans Affairs. Uh, but during the pandemic, it was pretty crazy. I mean, the thing is, you know, as a urologist, I'm not gonna try to pretend like I'm the frontline guy, right? Like we, we were, you know, people in New York, the urologists in New York, they were, they were all, strapped down they were rounding as in pretending to be an internal like not pretending they were acting as internal medicines they were working the icus fortunately we were a little better here where i didn't have to cover icus i didn't have to cover just regular floors and act as a doctor that wasn't a urologist however you know i had operated many times uh on covid positive patients for emergency purposes we are seeing COVID positive patients on a regular basis. The hospital was a very, I mean, it was a scary time. And it's very weird to go from a place where you're there every day working. And that's pretty much your home because you're there most of the time more than you are actually home. And then your mindset changes where, you know, 
I want to get the hell out of there. If I'm not, uh, if I'm not physically doing something, uh, uh, helping a patient or operating, our plan was to leave the facility, right? For, for our protecting ourselves, potentially protecting our patients. And a lot of the things that I found was interesting is that for the most part, that wasn't going through my mind. And I know this was like, I'm not unique or special. Most of the doctors that we worked with during this time were more worried about spreading COVID from us being like a nidus of the, the disease and going from room to room. So we were really strict in protecting ourselves because it was a indirect way or a direct way of really protecting all the other patients because we're the ones who were going back and forth from room to room. So, I mean, the ER physicians, the internal medicine physicians, uh, some of the neurologists, the pulmonologists, the hematologists, the infectious diseases, especially those are their heroes. Those guys are amazing. You know, they are absolutely incredible what they were able to do, what they were able to overcome. You know, we played our part, but what they did is like exponentially more impressive than, than us. But it's been an, it's been an interesting experience and it, you know, it, it is frustrating because we are in Florida where, you know, we've gotten a lot of shit for it, but you know, you, you go to New York, I'm sure I haven't been to New York, but I'm assuming people wear their masks. They are actually social distancing here. You can go out any day of the week and it's kind of like, COVID doesn't exist. Does it, yeah. People yeah. are walking around with no mask. It honestly kills me because I'm super careful, mostly because I see my family once a right. week and I don't want to subject them to anything. And I'm right. just also very paranoid. So I'm always home during the week. I only hang out with like the same three people who already had COVID and are also quarantining and being paranoid anyway. And I just feel like it's less about me and more about other people who are vulnerable. Like what if I am asymptomatic and I get COVID and then all of a sudden I go to the grocery store and I give it to like an elderly man or woman, I just wouldn't be able to live with myself. You know, not that I would know, but just the thought of that scares me. So I think that it's been really funny to talk to friends who live in other places like New York, like uh, California, and they're all telling me, oh, they just opened outdoor dining. And I'm just like, wait, it was closed because yeah. Florida has been so open and I, I do try to only eat outside, but, um, it's such a different world it than is. everything else going on. And you get kind of like jaded a little bit because we've been open since September and you walk around and there are people who just like don't even care anymore. And it's just a really scary scary thing. And being in the medical field, I'm sure that this entire process of COVID and, you know, even though maybe you weren't on the front lines, you still had to be in a hospital and you had a way higher chance of getting infected than other people who didn't go to a hospital. What do you think that entire process taught you about life? So I just, I mean, you bring up some great points. I I mean, personally, I told you my grandpa lives in Boca. I hadn't seen him in a year. I first time saw him about a month ago after I've been vaccinated. He's vaccinated. So, you know, it was great to see him. When it comes to COVID in general, what it's taught about life, it's so weird because I feel like it's, it's a very interesting time for everyone because you've really been challenged on a personal level and it's, it's kind of like you're isolated and you're kind of figuring it out on your own almost because I used to be before this whole thing happened, a very FOMO guy. I was like, if I'm not going meeting up or having plans on Thursday or Friday or Saturday, I feel like I'm wasting my time throughout the process. I kind of 
just changed my mentality. Like I kind of was like, my goal here is to a stay safe, b stay mentally safe because if I'm going to the hospital, I'm still taking care of people. I need to make sure that I'm good with myself right now. And then the, the other aspect is just, I just need to, you know, be a kind of a role model in a, like not in a admirable way, but like I have to kind of do the things that I feel I sh people, other people should be doing. So, and I also kind of just during the time I, I, tried to do things that I didn't have the opportunity to do. So we talked about the podcast. I started like being more creative. I started writing with my, my friend who I was doing my, my film podcast with. I started kind of journaling, which I hadn't done before just to kind of get my thoughts out. I don't know if I'll ever read them or not. I don't really, that's not the goal. I think it's just to kind of, if I'm having a day where I would feel very anxious about the experiences I had that day or something happened and I want to talk about, then I started doing that. And I try to do it every day. If it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it's not a big deal. I'm not trying to make it something that, you know, is a burden on me. But I think the whole thing that I've really learned is that, you know, you kind of have to live your, your truth and you have to kind of think about, it's important to think about yourself to, in, in many ways, do the best for others. I mean, I, the thing about doctors is we're always seen to be like the most selfless, selfless people. And it is very important to be selfless, but I kind of took a little bit introspection. I was like, I really got to make sure I'm okay too, because if I'm not okay, no one, no one I'm going to be helping or I can't really help people as much as I want to. So I kind of took the time to try to make sure that like everything that I'm doing, my habits are good. Um, I really hadn't, had alcohol for like three months during the whole thing. I had an, I was eating healthy. I came up with like a diet. I was started meditating. I haven't done that afterwards, but it was good while I was doing it. So yeah, I mean, I started sleeping better and I'm still doing that. So it, it gave me the opportunity to kind of improve on things that I didn't have the, the time to do before. And, and, you know, I don't want to be fake. Like I'm not saying like I'm a better person. I'm not one of those people who was like, yeah, I just became a better person the whole time. No, of course not. I mean, we all go back to our ways eventually, but it was a nice, like, it it's was like a nice, nice reset. Exactly. I feel like during this entire pandemic, a lot of people have been forced to sit with themselves. And that's something that sounds simple, but really isn't. For example, I, yeah, like I was traveling once a week for work. I was working super hard, not sleeping well, not taking care of my body. And then once the pandemic came and you know we stopped working in our office and we started working from home I really was forced to sit with myself and like face the things in my life that I didn't like or maybe you know take better care of myself and these were things that I never really thought about because I was just like on go when you're mode. going well, you're, you're just, just you're going. going you're not thinking you can't reflect can't exactly I had to ref I was forced to reflect and honestly like I freaked out because I just was like for years so used to going 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 and then when I was forced to stop I was like oh my god like I have to really face the things in my life that I don't like whether about myself or my life or things that I want to have a better routine with and you know during that time it was really difficult for me to process everything that was going on because I was very easily overwhelmed I was the same way I 
had the biggest FOMO in the world. Like if I couldn't go to everything and be out and do this, I felt like I was missing out on everything. And the pandemic really forced me to be the opposite. Like we were talking about to really take a step back and be a little bit more selfish. Like I don't really need to go out and do this because then I'm subjecting myself to potentially getting COVID and it ends up being way more serious going out than just having FOMO. So I think like, different things that I've done also that have really helped are, um, the five minute journal, which I've talked about a bunch of times on yeah, the podcast, to you talk about yep. hashtag sponsor me. Um, <laughs> it's been really helpful for me and it's the same thing. I, I don't do it every day anymore, but at the height of the pandemic, I was doing it because it helped me a lot, like write things down, you know, look at different positive affirmations. It really puts you in a mindset of being grateful. And I feel like that mindset when you wake up in the morning, changes everything for the rest of your day, changes how you treat people, changes how you treat yourself, how you talk to yourself, how you handle situations, having one small thing happen and you don't feel like it's the end of the world. I think that doing things like journaling, um, you know, getting a therapist, meditating, exercising, all of these things are things that people find a little bit taboo, especially therapy. I feel like there's a weird stigma around it and need to normalize it. I very good. Love therapy. Like literally couldn't live without my therapist. She probably thinks I'm crazy. And, um, I think that it's really important to just like keep bringing that up because I know people who, you know, good friends of mine who have had like actual mental breakdowns because of COVID and the pandemic. And when they got therapy, they're completely different now. The way they handle situations is much more calmly the way that they, you know, look at life and prioritize the things in their life. So I fully support journaling, you know, everything that we talked about. I think the number one thing that I would take away from being um, in quarantine is to really make yourself a priority and to also make a routine for yourself that is going to better you for whatever your goals are. Whether if you can't meditate, totally cool. I can barely meditate. Like I have my brain is always going like sometimes I really can't just sit there and meditate. So I think that it's important to find whatever works best for you and to not be so hard on yourself if you don't do it one day. I agree. I mean, you know, I think for me before this, what I would do is, you know, once a week, I always made time. I, I, you have to just make time for yourself, whatever it is. For me, it was always the movies and that's what it was. Every week before COVID, I would go to the movies most of the time by myself. I don't think you need to go to the movies with, with I people. Actually, I low-key love going to the I movies love, by myself. I mean, it's I so love nice. it. You just get the huge popcorn. You don't have to share it with exactly. anyone. First off, <laughs> we're watching a movie. I don't need to talk to you during a movie. That's ruining the movie. Yeah. So I would go once a week. And that was like my temple. Like, I could just forget everything. I lock into the movie, good or bad. Hour and a half, two hours. I was in the zone. It kind of just refreshed me. And I loved that. And, you know, now I, I made my routine. Usually, typically, Fridays, Pizza Fridays, I watch whatever movie comes out and I have a whole pizza to myself. That's, you know, <laughs> that's, that's what my we day. like to call self-care. Exactly. I love that. That's what wellness. kind of pizza would you get? Um, so I usually, I've been kind of trying different pizza places just because I'm in Brickle. So I usually just go to a local Brickle place like DC Pies, Mr. 01 are usually my go-tos. And I usually get like pepperoni, mushroom, shallots, and uh, what's the last ingredient here? Uh, I think that's it. Yeah. I mean, it's delicious. Live your best life. Oh, my God. Every Friday. Now you know what I'm going to do every Friday. I'm going to be like. 
Pizza Fridays. You're you're never eating pizza <laughs> alone on Fridays because I'm having pizza somewhere in the world with you on a Friday night. Okay. That's amazing. So yeah, let's jump into your podcast. I'm really interested, A, how you even have time to have a podcast when you're a doctor and you know, you're doing all of these things and you're probably exhausted. And I want to know what inspired you to create a podcast about movies. Great. Um, so just when I was growing up uh, throughout my whole like childhood, I was just obsessed with movies. I, when I was in Wayne, one of my, my best friend, Matt Gallo, we, I grew up with him uh, and we would always make movies from as soon as, as early as I can remember, he always had like the big VHS tape that you would put into the big camera and we were recording all the time. We were recording and what we were doing is for editing before all this editing machinery came out and technology, we would literally record a VC, we would play in the, on the VCR the footage that we had and we would film that and either put it in slow motion using the VCR, fast forward, rewind wow. to kind of give effects. And That's we always amazing. had really a good time with it. And you see what you had to do back in the oh day? Oh my God. There was, was there were no editing programs. You physically had to you, push on that to make it go slow. You literally had to make it go slow. That's and it was really fun. And what we would do is we always do for projects, whether it was like a history project um, or science project, we would always find ways to incorporate film, like as, a, you know, reenacting a, a, a historical scene or talking about a top topic. His brother was name was Tom. So we did Tom Nye, the science guy. And, we, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. And we, as we went through high school, we started, you know, getting a little bit more into it. We started writing our own shorts. We would submit to local film festivals. We, we, we wouldn't come in like top. We would like place in like third or whatever, but it was really fun. Then we both went away to college. We stayed in touch, obviously, but I moved back. So after college, I actually worked at Cornell in the Upper East Side of Manhattan, but uh, I was getting paid very little. So I couldn't afford to live in Manhattan. So New, Wayne, New Jersey, where I'm from, is about a you know 20 to 45 minute bus ride. So I would commute every bad. day. Well, then it was an Upper East Side, so you commute to 45 minutes to, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, the Port Authority, which is hell on earth. Oh my God, know. it, it literally it's is like, hell on earth. It's it, like the asshole inside that the asshole of Times Square. It's the worst it place It legit reminds me of Little Nicky. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I was really, there every day no, for two years. I used every to live day. down the street from it on like 31st and 9th, yeah. that's where my college dorm yeah. was. And I always knew that like I needed to avoid it at all costs because it was so sketchy and there was always something weird happening over there where I was like, I got to get away from I've seen a lot of bad, crazy things happen. Yeah, it's hell on earth. It is. So I I was there every day, twice a day for two years. So commuted, bus ride was 45 minutes. Then I had to take the shuttle to Penn Station, then I took the four, five, six to the oh my to God. 68th Street. So this was like Street. a two-hour then ordeal. I, yeah, and then I had to walk over from from what should we call it, Park to uh, York. So it just took me about an hour and a half each way. Oh my God, it's so, like three hours a day. Uh, uh, yeah, well, you know, I listened to a lot of audiobooks. I was reading, so it was pre podcast audiobooks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, always listen to audiobooks. I've been since then. I've been addicted to audiobooks. I listen to Audible all the time. Um, but anyway, uh, so we went back, I was living in Jersey. He was living back in Jersey. He was an NBC page at the time. And, uh, which basically is like 
an assistant, I guess. I mean, a he's runner. an intern. Yeah, yeah, he's like an intern. intern. But very cool. He got yeah. me into like Saturday Night Live after parties. Oh my and god! Stuff like okay, that. okay. So Who was hosting it? Um, well, I I went to the actual show. I sat in the front for uh, Ben Stiller. Wow, which is amazing. Are you kidding? I swear to God, you said ben that was... way too casually. Ben Stiller's <laughs> the goat. It was seeing great. him on SNL would make my entire. Oh, life. it was amazing. And then I went to the after party. I went to the after after party. Did you get it to meet great. him? Him, I did not meet. I met a lot of other the, people. The cast. Yeah. Oh my God, I actually went to SNL once when I was when I just moved to New York. I had to be like eighteen or nineteen. A friend of mine from back home came to visit and randomly called me one day and was like, do you want to go to SNL? I was like, wait, is this a real thing or am I being punked? He was like, no, 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 I got you. Meet me here. I'm like, who knows if this is even real, right? Show up. We end up getting front row. It's amazing. That's the best, right? It's the best. Maya Rudolph was hosting. Oh, amazing. Um, this super random band called Sleigh Bells, I think it was called. Oh, I know. So, yeah. Yeah. Are they still popular? I don't I didn't so, know who they were at the time. So Our, mine was Foster the People. They were very okay, nice. Okay, you had I an amazing him. lineup. I met them after. They, he was just really nice people. You had an amazing lineup. So it was Maya Rudolph, love her. And then as like the skits were going on, Justin Timberlake showed up Ooh. and was in a skit. And I was oh. like, I'm like, does any does anybody see this going on? Like I was freaking out. And the cool thing about SNL, since you've gone, you can see like it's such a small set. So small. It's so small. Like you walk in and it's like tiny little sets and they just alternate, alternate, alternate. And I went for like, I think it was the dress rehearsal where they do like, cause it wasn't actually live. Yeah. They do a dress rehearsal and then they do the actual show. So you can get tickets to both. So you don't right. know which so one. The, the dress rehearsal was like an hour longer than the actual show. And they, they cut it. Yeah. They cut it where like some stuff is live, some stuff isn't. And seeing all, everyone like run around and being in that element was hands down one of the coolest experiences of my life. It's amazing what they do. It's and amazing. And and seeing it, like you're you're kind of a little scarred because now when I watch SNL, I'm like, the stage isn't that big. Like what camera is this to make this look like it's so huge? It's actually so tiny. It's very, same thing with, uh, you know, I've seen Jimmy Fallon in, in studio. I've oh, seen wow, really? Conan and you know because of your friend being an mbc page so well the the conan yes but actually i don't know if i saw jimmy fallon i know i saw conan but no first off the snl the front row was not my friend it was my other friend johnny o so shout out to johnny o. i'm not gonna johnny. show you so uh so but you know matt got me into other after parties and after after parties afterwards look but, at you yeah so that was that was my new york was great that it, was two makes, years great great living it makes it. your like three hour daily commute worth it when exactly. you get to do cool stuff like that exactly um but when i came back to new jersey and he was back in jersey we would just go to the movies at least once a week together because for pizza fridays well not back then but yeah i mean <laughs> Probably was Pete's involved at some point. Probably. But, um, and after a while, we were like, this is in 2010. So we were like, well, you know, there's these things called podcasts. We always talk about the movies. Why don't we just kind of just go for it? And we started just doing it because it was just fun. And we were like, I don't really care if anyone's listening. I just want to be able to have some forum to express our thoughts. And, and uh, we've been talking about movies forever. So we were just like... Let's make it a more official thing. And we, we've been doing it since. I mean, we've transitioned through a lot of different, I think we were using like, I think it was called like Podbean was the first thing that we did. And 
2010. This is a long time ago. Yeah, Black Swan, I think, was the first movie we did. Oh, my God. That just goes to show. I remember seeing that in theaters. Yeah, Black Swan. I think it was like Green Hornet. Those were like the first few ones that we we, uh, did. Yeah. That was was back in the day, though. So did you guys do it consistently? We did it consistently pretty much every week for for five, six, seven years. Wow. And then, you know, actually pretty much for eight years or so. And then the last two years have been a little hard. He had a, he had a kid and you know, with pandemic and life, it can get hard. So we, we were consistent for every, you know, probably at least twice a month by, by weekly, every other week. But then during the pandemic, you know, we stopped in April. There was just a lot of shit going on with his life, with like what I was doing. I was still watching movies. He was still watching movies, but we just didn't have the time to get together to do it. Um, we did start collaborating in other senses. We're trying to like write a movie script for other, we decided let's, you know, hold back on the podcasting. Let's do something that we've been talking about else for many years and we're almost done. That's amazing. I mean, who knows what's going to happen with it? Probably nothing, but it's just something fun to do. It is something fun to do. It's just something fun that I've always wanted to do. He's always wanted to do. And we've always bounced ideas off of each other. And I think this is a fun idea. It's a Hallmark Christmas movie. Oh you my God, do, can't go, you can't go wrong with that. Lo, Jew, a Jew writing a Hallmark Christmas movie. I love that love journey it, for right? you. And you just have to do kind of like low-hanging fruit. I'm not trying to be like an intellectual here. <laughs> You're I'm like, trying to have fun. Let, yeah, let's start at point A, right. right? Like you could do anything for a Hallmark Christmas movie and like it'll fly. Exactly. Like it like, doesn't even have to make sense. Exactly. You just need to put a Christmas tree, some fake snow, and get Christina Milian to start in it. Oh man, that'd be great! And I love you. Want to ha- you want to host? Uh, be in be in our movie? Just uh, hit me up, slide in the DMs. Oh know? my god, I'm definitely gonna slide in and be like, "So I heard you were looking for uh, characters." <laughs> yeah. Um. So that. So I need to know what is your favorite movie if you had to choose. Easy. You can give me top three. I. I mean, my favorite movie is 100. It's a Wonderful Life, 1942, with James Stewart. Have you seen it? Yeah. And classic. That movie for me, AFI American Film Institute rated it the best, most inspirational film of all time. And for me, it's very, very special because when I was a kid, well, first off, my birthday is Christmas Eve. So this movie is played every year on my birthday. Uh, It's a sign. It is. So I first off watch it every year. I cry at the end every year. I'm a big crier in movies. I don't know what it is. Like happy movies, sad movies. I cry. I love that. All the time. Coco. I was watching that movie by myself in the theaters. There was like a family next to me and I have never cried harder. I'm like shaking, convulsing. And they're like, what's going on with that guy? I was just like, I can't control myself. You know, oh when God. they play Remember, when I'm he crying. sings Remember Me, it's just unbelievable. I've actually stuff. never seen Coco. Oh, I think it might be their best, some of their like top three films easily. And then, uh, but anyway, so back to It's a Wonderful Life. Watch it every year. Cry every year. Um, it just inspires me to be a better person. But what made it really important for me was when I was growing up, my mom would always be like, you got to watch this movie. You got to watch this movie. It's amazing. And when I think when we were all kids, we only want to watch like new stuff. I was like, well, it's made like a billion years ago. I don't want to watch it. It's in black and white. I don't want to watch that. And, uh, eventually like, I think it was like 12, I gave in and I watched it and I was just so blown away. I was absolutely blown away by how good an old movie could be. 
And that changed my whole perspective on film. I went back, I watched all black and white movies for a while after that. Like all the, like the noir films and everything, you know, like Maltese Falcon. I went back, I watched like Casablanca and all, all the classics. So that really kind of opened the gate to all the classic films and showed me like the range that films can have and really appreciation for other films. So that movie will always be my number one for sure. But then you have other films. I love 500 Days of Summer. I love La La Land. I love Heavyweights, first off. Oh, my God. What a throw I'm going to throw that in there. You talk about all those other heavyweights. Wow, I remember my brother showing me that like movie back in the day. Shout out to Ivan. We used to watch that on repeat. Absolutely. Like, wow, you just brought it all the way Heavyweights. I quote that movie still all the time to this day. Bringing back Ben Stiller. That if you watch that movie, that was like the original villain for all of his other villain characters, yeah. right? Like that was the basis of all those other characters when he played a villain in other future comedies. And it's an all-star cast. I think that was Judd Apatow's first writing credit. I may be wrong there, oh, but wow. yeah, he's in he's a legend. Yeah, absolutely. I read his book. His book's very interesting with all his interviews of comedians, and uh, I just find comedy very interesting. And I think comedy reflects a lot of. Um, doctor stuff because I, I think that they're kind of the same in in many ways when when for me i've been really obsessed in the last like 10 15 years i've been listening to when i listen to audio biographies or i read biographies i'm reading a lot of comedians i've read like tina fey i mean steve martin i've read martin short i've read like pretty much all of them that you could think of i've i've listened to or read read them and I think what the thing about comedians is that how, how it's similar to doctors is comedians, what they do the best is they observe, right? They, they observe and they're able to translate their observations into something that's relatable to pretty much everyone. And that's why you laugh because you understand where they're coming from. And a really good doctor can observe a situation and then translate it into whatever they need it to be. And then, tra- then put that out into the world in terms that, you know, a normal person who didn't understand a concept before can do. The better doctors can observe a situation, understand what's going on with a patient and get the job done. And so I kind of see if I'm able to reflect on how comedians do it, maybe I can bring that observational aspect of how they do it into medicine and maybe that can make me a better doctor. That's kind of how I've always thought about that. So I've always listened to a lot of comedy because of that. And I've, I've read all of their biographies. I just find that stuff very interesting. I love that. If yeah. you could choose one comedian to watch or listen to for the rest of your life, who would it be? It's very hard. I mean, I probably have got to go with Dave Chappelle because, I mean, Dave Good Chappelle answer. is just... He transcends He, he is just one of those guys who just is so smart. Anytime he puts something on, it's like on YouTube, I'm just trying to watch it. I mean, he has a lot of important things to say, but he says them that everyone can understand them and relate to. It's just, it's just an incredible, like the way his brain works is amazing. It's just doesn't make sense. He's a legend. Did you hear about that whole thing with Netflix? Yes. Yeah. Well now it's back on Netflix because, because yeah. they Cause he got paid for Because he got paid. Yeah. Netflix was like, we're not messing up this relationship. So basically Netflix uh, uploaded, I guess, all of the Chappelle show seasons. And they didn't ask Dave Chappelle, but I think they had the rights to it or something. And Dave said, it really doesn't make me feel good for you to have this up here without talking to me first. 
Netflix was like, say less. Removed within 24 hours. Get out hours. of here. Yeah, we're, and you're everyone, gone. everyone was like, wow, the influence of Dave Chappelle. And then I guess they worked out a deal. They paid him and then they put it back up. Yeah, because all these younger people who didn't grow up watching that show were now understanding how important that show was. So it's so funny because when I saw that the Chappelle show was on Netflix, I was first of all blown away. I was like, first of all, you have like every single episode. So I started binging everything again. And I just remember watching this and I got flashbacks from when me and my brother used to watch it. And my brother used to be like, you need to watch the Chappelle show. I'm like, what is this? And it brought back so many memories for me because I feel like when you watched it while it was on, it was a totally different experience that now when you look back and watch it, you're reminded of like where you were at that time and how influential Dave Chappelle was. Like when he was Rick James, I mean, come on, like you forget about these iconic. things. It's iconic. You forget about these things. And he really like birthed so many comedians and so many people wouldn't have careers if it wasn't for Dave Chappelle. I agree. I, you know, there is not many television show DVDs. I remember owning that was a must. I feel like everyone had that DVD, you know, season one, two, and three. And I remember in college, like always just sitting in with my buddies and just always rewatching the season. Always. Always. Yeah. Always, he's a legend. Always. I just really like how Netflix handled it because it could have gone one of two ways. And I think that they realized because they've, they've given him so much money for his specials. I think it was like $20 million a special and he did like four of them. Yeah. Which were all good. Which were all the number one. Very ranked. good. I mean, yeah. I watched all of them like five times. Absolutely. And I love how they transitioned, uh, from like the smaller theaters where he's like chain smoking cigarettes on stage and there's really only like 50 people in front of him. And then also going to like the major theaters with like thousands of people. And you just see that he's so consistent no matter what audience he's in front of, no matter the size, no matter anything, he's so true to himself. And I think that that's what really has catapulted him into being so legendary is that, you know, he doesn't, he live like in Ohio or something. Yeah, he does. Um, he lives like in a very small town. If you haven't watched the Dave uh, Letterman interview on uh, Netflix, I did, it's I very did. good. Yeah. yeah. yeah I love, I love that, uh, that series. I think Dave Chappelle um, on that interview was great I learned a lot and you realize like how low-key he is and how unbothered he is by the fame like he doesn't want that he kind of just wants to be like iconic and not famous more respected so I love Dave Chappelle for that yeah no I think so one thing that I've kind of been conflicted about or trying to figure out now is with like you know we're talking about how Dave Chappelle felt comfortable saying what he wanted to say but he's a comedian And as doctors right now, it's kind of very hard because, you know, before social media, doctors were just doctors. Now they can have a personality, right? Like you can have a personality, you can be something. You can brand yourself. You can brand yourself. And social media is becoming big on that. Now, the problem I've been kind of struggling with that is, A, like, do you want to be the authority on the topic or do you want to be the influencer on the topic? And that's kind of- Can you be both? And I think you can, but it's hard, right? There's a couple people who do it very, very well. Uh, I don't know, like, because I follow a lot of social media doctors just because I'm trying to... Brand yourself? Yeah, of course. You know, and I think it's very important in the future because people, when you go to a doctor, before you go to the doctor, you Google who they are. You probably know where they live. You know what they do. You know every college. Like, you know my, my story better than I know my story based on, like, just before you come to see me. Mm. And so... You know, it's kind of a scary time and it's an exciting time at the same same part because, you know, you have to be careful what you say, You, but you also, you know, some people are just doing it as kind of just to get clout 
And sometimes, you know, there's a lot. And then the other issue is there's a lot of fake medicine being just sent out and fake information about healthcare and being, being what makes you healthy and how to live a health, healthy life that isn't promoted by doctors. Some of it may be. So it's kind of like, it's kind of a very interesting time when you're talking about social media and being a doctor. Um, like I said, I think Dr. Mike, who's a very big name in uh, social media for doctors. I don't know if you've heard of him, but he's like got millions and millions of followers. Like a lot of these people go through YouTube and stuff like that. But then there's other people who are just like, you know, trying to make money and trying to kind of just get their brand out. So it's kind of hard. It's, it's an interesting time to be a doctor, but I think the, the important for me is to try to use social media to a normalize things that may be stigmatized. You, you mentioned therapy already. Absolutely. Like for me, you know, talking to your doctor about infertility issues, 50% of infertility is, the man, it's not all women problems. Believe oh. it or not. Oh. Say it louder for the yeah, people in exactly. the back. <laughs> you know, talk about sex problems, right? For men and women. It's very common for women to have female sexual dysfunction. It's very common for men to have erectile dysfunction. These are things people don't want to feel comfortable about, but you know, we gotta have some kind of way of getting the information out saying it's okay. You gotta come to your doctor to see to talk about these things. To destigmatize to it. To destigmatize it. And it's so, it's so funny that, you know, privately, I cannot tell you how many people have reached out to me about things that I can't believe, like, like I haven't seen people in 10 years. They'll call me up. I love it. I'm happy to help you ask me a question and talk about things that are very, very personal. And that's something that I love about being a doctor, like that you can trust me with this. I'm not telling anyone I'm here to help you. So it's kind of, it's an interesting time in terms of, you know, being a doctor, trying to be on social media, trying to use it as a platform to A, promote yourself, promote maybe research that you're doing, network, um, but also kind of make sure the information that is out there is accurate. And who's that, who's the responsibility? I don't know. Is it our responsibility to make sure that's the case? I, f I kind of think it is a little bit. I'm not saying like I have to go out and like call out people. I'm not trying to do that. I don't call people out. I have not said any bad names and I won't. But um, I think that, you know, by putting as much good information out there, we can do better and do good because I think that there's a lot of people I've seen patients in clinic who have heard stuff or read stuff and it didn't help. And it also cost them a lot of money. It cost them a lot of stress. And it could potentially hurt you. So, you know, it's it's an interesting time because especially now when everyone's home and reading everything and doing everything, there's a high anxiety, high stress, stress time. You you also just have access to information that if you're not a doctor, you don't know if it's true. Oh, absolutely. And that's, there's Correct. so many websites that I see and it makes me makes me sketched out. Speaking of social media, before this podcast started, we had a conversation about Clubhouse. Yes, um, love that you're wearing a Larry David shirt yes. and it brings me into my next point. So you're on clubhouse I am, and you had a very unique experience. Talk about yeah, it. Yeah. So, so I personally, I was telling you, I think clubhouse is great. I think the time that you can put into it for like a return on investment of your time for whatever you want to get out of it, whether it's networking, getting information out, connecting with people, um, is very valuable. I've been on it for maybe about three weeks. And there's a lot of people, whether they're doctors, I started working with a couple of comedians, you know, 
it was, it was a great experience. And so for, for example, this is the story I was telling you, um, I think two weeks ago, we, there was a group called comedy. Uh, it was a sex advice with comedians. I literally went into the clubhouse, uh, raised my hand. They saw I was a doctor specializing in sex med and they brought me on stage. And in generalities, I was able to answer questions about erectile dysfunction, stuff like that. And it was really fun. It was very informative. And I got a lot, like people were DMing me. They were sending me messages on Instagram, on Twitter. And they were like, thank you. This is actually very informative. I feel like I can, I feel more comfortable about certain topics. So it was very rewarding. They asked me to come back. So we did it last week again. I'm going to start doing with them once a week on Wednesdays. Uh, it's going to be nine to midnight. I, might, I usually don't stay till the end because it's, it's late here and I got to go to work the next day. But um, yeah, and last week, Jeff Garland came on, which was amazing. And we talked about like his sex life. We <laughs> talked about his diets and he lost 100 pounds. Oh my God. And, and during this time and he's healthier. And like a lot of things that I was talking about, you know, there ends up weirdly being themes. And the theme of last week was take care of your body because if you exercise, eat what right, don't smoke, you know, you're probably going to have a better sex life. And that's the truth, right? Because people don't know diabetes can cause erectile dysfunction, heart disease. One of the first signs of heart disease is not, is actually erectile dysfunction in, in men. So like if you can get ahead of it by eating healthier, exercising, you can probably save your penis. <laughs> but yeah, no, he talked about it. He said he had a lot more energy. He was, you know, more sex. He was having sex. It was crazy. I was talking to Jeff Garland about this stuff. It was very And for fun. those who don't know, Jeff Garland was on Curb Your Enthusiasm. That's where the yeah, Larry David shirt. He's a co-producer. He's on the show. Yeah, that's where the Larry David shirt came in. Yeah. Um, but so it, it really increases your accessibility to these, you know, high profile celebrities, actors, you know, people in the entertainment industry, which... Instagram when it first came out was like that. Right. I remember like Kim Kardashian was one of the first celebrities to have an Instagram. And it was sort of like the first time we saw an inside look into their lives, like behind the curtain of, of course, what they wanted to show us. And I feel like that's one thing that I love about clubhouse is that it's at that beginning phase right now where yes, it's invite only. So it is more of like a, a select group of people but you are able to speak directly to people that you never thought you would have a chance to even no be, chance be in in, like Elon Musk just did one and yeah. Twitter was on fire about how people like were asking him questions and had direct contact to the richest man on earth right who's doing all of these incredible things with Tesla and SpaceX and you know trying to just advance uh the culture and the human race and I think that that's a good part about social media and using it as a tool to, you know, reach people that you wouldn't be able to, or to learn things or to have conversations that you wouldn't normally be able to. Yeah. And there's actually a lot of doctors and I'm learning a lot from these very, very smart doctors on clubhouse. First off, I don't know if everyone knows what clubhouse is. So run it down for them. So clubhouse is this new app. It's come out. What I guess you said three months ago, you've been on it forever now, <laughs> apparently. So uh, I just lurk in the background. <laughs> I don't say anything. But it's this new app where basically uh, you have a profile. You have to get invited as of now. And it's basically live panels slash podcasting. Um, there's, you're not supposed to record. They're, they're, the, the app doesn't record the conversations. And basically you create a room. People join if they're following you. And they can, they can um, kind of have a conversation, whatever the topic is. 
and it has to be live. There's no pictures. You're not like, so it's very voice casual, only. voice only. So you can be doing, sometimes I'm cooking dinner or I'm just like, like walking around. I'm just listening to something. And, um, you have to be physically present because you're talking. So it's not like Instagram. It's not, it's not like Twitter or whatever. Like you can't time anything. If you're there, you're there. You have to actively engage, which is a very different forum. And I, I really enjoy it for that. But you know, I, I, there are doctors on there and I've learned a lot from them. There's a lot of really smart people about how they market, how they talk about topics. And I've learned a lot about that and how to present myself better. Uh, one thing that I figured out that I've been thinking about is, you know, my social media approach. I feel I'm very good at Twitter because I feel like I'm more of a talker. Instagram, I don't know. I, I like Instagram a lot, but I'm not someone I don't like to take pictures of myself or, you know, other stuff. And I feel, you know, so I've, I've struggled to, you know, get we'll as help much. You, don't worry. We'll That's brand fine. you. That's Between great. me and Emily, we'll make I you know. famous. I, well, it's not about being famous. It's being an authority. Okay. You know what I mean. We'll, <laughs> yeah, we'll no, get no. people to find you yeah. to ask you questions about their. No, well, well, my point was I was talking with all these people and it was on clubhouse, all these doctors and, you know, because I've had a podcast, they, they had some very interesting thoughts. They were like, listen, people who are on Twitter are usually better at talking. They're usually because they're more conversational. It's more you know, like you've had a podcast. I think the better forums are for you are like Clubhouse, you know, are podcasting. So I'm going to try you know, in the process of making a podcast for men's health. And we're going to see. I'm working Love with that. one of my friends, uh, Kevin Chu, who's also going to be a male uh, men's health specialist like me. So I've been, he's been uh, training here at UM. So we're going to try to uh, do something. We're working on that. So that's very exciting and we'll make it, we'll make it happen. Tell people where they can find you. Um, at I made it easy at Justin Dubin MD on clubhouse on Instagram and on Twitter. So on this podcast, we like to end with an inspiring quote. If you could leave the listeners with one thing today, what would you say? Ooh. No pressure. I think the the weirdest thing, I'm going to go with this one because I, I, I feel, I truly believe that one of the most important things is being there for people. So I would say your best ability is availability. And I like that because, you know, especially in times right now where people are feel alone, they may be having very stressful times and don't know how who to talk to, be available for them talk to them, be available for your friends, be available for your family, um, be available for yourself. And, uh, I think that that goes a long way and, uh, you know, even obviously for work too, but you know, it's a very, it's a very low hanging fruit thing, right? It's very easy to be available for someone. Um, because that it doesn't mean that you have to be called upon, but sometimes just knowing that someone's there for you makes a lot, makes a big difference. I love that. Well, thank you so much for being on the thank podcast. You. This was, this was awesome. such a great episode. This was really I, fun. I loved how we really talked about the intersection between social media and being a doctor. I feel like that's something that's not explored enough. I think that um, it's something that will continue to expand with new apps like Clubhouse. And I appreciate your time. This was so fun. This is awesome. <laughs> Thanks, Blair. Part two soon. Thank you guys so much for listening and stay tuned for a brand new episode dropping next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Bye.